Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. And welcome to Extra Time, a web-only program from RNZ Sport. For Denise Gowan, Bernay. On the program this week, the All Blacks seek revenge in Dublin, and we find out what makes Steve Hansen tick. New Zealand Rugby names a Scot as Gordon Titchen's All Black Sevens successor. The Kiwis prepare to put their Four Nations title and number one ranking on the line. A trio of Olympic rowing champions announce they'll take a year off from the sport. And the LPGA Tour is coming to New Zealand. The All Blacks are in Dublin with revenge on their minds. Steve Hansen's men became the first all-black team to ever lose to Ireland two weeks ago. And as rugby reporter Joe Porter reports, the Irish are bracing for an almighty backlash. Into the grandstand it goes. Rugby history. Ireland beat the all-blacks for the first time. Ireland's historic win in Chicago would have done wonders for their confidence and diluted some of the all-blacks' unbeatable aura. But the Irish know a black storm will hit Dublin on Sunday morning, with their New Zealand-born coach Joe Schmidt conceding they've poked the bear. I don't think you get a a tougher test because they are unhappy, obviously. When you win 18 in a row and you get into that habit, you're not happy to lose that. And uh, they want to get straight back on track. And with the talent they have, it's going to be incredibly tough to stop them doing that. Schmidt says Ireland will have to exceed their benchmark if they're to beat the All Blacks for a second consecutive time. Ireland's New Zealand-born centre Jared Payne agrees and says the all-black team will be a stronger and more ruthless beast than the one they encountered in America. Every game they play, they've said it, is, uh, there's pressure on them to win. They're expected by the New Zealand public back home to win every game. So they're going to leave no stone unturned in their preparation and they're going to really make sure they come out and, and um, put us to the sword. Before the loss in Chicago, the All Blacks had conquered all before them this year, and assistant coach Ian Foster says that slap in the face has given the side a cold-blooded focus. These are great weeks. You know, there's a there's an edge in the year, and you know we we love preparing for big test matches. And you know, coming to Dublin's and preparing to play Ireland here is always pretty special for us. And it's a fantastic stadium. The supporters are amazing, and and I guess what's happened in in Chicago has just added a little bit more seasoning to it, isn't it? The New Zealand prop Wyatt Crockett knows nothing would mean more to the Irish than beating the world champions on home soil. They've got the monkey off their back and um, you know, for them the ultimate would be able to back it up. I think that's a sign of a really good team, so there's um, pressure on us to perform. And perform is exactly what Locke Brody Retallick says they plan on doing. It's going to be a big game for us after Chicago. Um, coming here, playing Dublin to West Huge, so... We're just a bit disappointed that you know, we probably let ourselves down as a team a wee bit in Chicago and we want to come here and rectify that. So um, 
we're going to take control of the physical battle and our execution and, and then just play our game. The 2009 Springboks were the last team to beat the All Blacks in two consecutive tests, and even former Ireland captain Brian O'Driscoll concedes it will be a tough feat to emulate. It'll be tight again. You know, it took us 111 years to expect two on the bounce is a push, but it's not beyond uh, the realms of possibility. O'Driscoll says if the hosts are to make more history on Sunday, they'll need more than a little luck of the Irish. Joe Porter with that report. And after twice being part of a World Cup winning side and coaching what has been described as the best rugby team ever, All Blacks coach Steve Hansen is a man who has quite a following. Wherever he goes in the world, rugby people are keen to know what makes him one of the game's most respected coaches. Hansen is known to command a crowd whenever he is at a media conference, and his philosophy on the game is keenly sought. This week, Hansen spoke ahead of the Ireland Test in Dublin. Here's some of that media conference, where he talks about coaches being motivators, what Joe Schmidt has done for Irish rugby, and firstly, he was asked about the anniversary of Jonah Lomu's death, which was one year ago this week. One of the things that is important to us is our legacy, which is you know, a fancy word for history. And he's a big part of that, so um, and the boys will be aware of it, and, and they'll talk about it amongst themselves. We'll talk about it as a team, about our history, and you know we let our history down in Chicago and didn't perform to the level that we expect. You know, if you if you lose games and you play well, then you get you get beaten by the better team, and, and if you lose and and don't play well, then it becomes very frustrating. And uh, you know we know we didn't play anywhere near as well as we could play. Uh, and we know we have to play to that very high level if we're going to win against Ireland because they're a good side. You, you just got to go out, prepare the best you can, and and uh, you then go and deliver a performance that you can be proud of. And, and if the opposition are better than you on the day, then you got to accept that. You know, like we don't have any God-given right to to win every game of rugby. But what we do know is if we prepare well and our attitude's good, then we're going to be hard to beat. And the other team has to do the same. And, and uh, you know, if they're good enough, then we'll accept that and move on to the next day and try and get better. And it's one of the things we talk about all the time, trying to be better. I think he's got them playing smarter rugby than just, you know, Ireland to me have always been a very passionate nation on and off the park. Uh, and, you know, they're always good at, a, at getting behind a cause. And... Um, you know, they're good people. I've got a lot of time for them. I, I enjoy their company. And, and as rugby players, I think they've uh, improved probably their fitness and their understanding of how they want to play and why we should do things. And I think Joe's been a big part of that. I think you know, their whole coaching staff are challenging them to, to understand why and how and when, which is, you know, they're not big words, but they're pretty important when it comes to playing footy, to making good decisions. So they're making better decisions and therefore... The opposition who are playing them, whomever it may be, has to do the same. Well, motivation should look after itself every week. You know, I always laugh when I read articles, not only from people like yourselves but others, who go, oh, yeah, he's a great motivator. If you can't motivate yourself, then you shouldn't be in an international team. And, uh, you know, the, the reality is to, to perform at high-level competition of any sport uh, it's self-motivation that's the key. Now, there's a lot of people know that they didn't play well in the weekend and they'll be 
couple of weeks ago, and and they'll be disappointed with it because, as I said, they're, they're highly competitive athletes. So their motivation will be high. I don't think motivation will be a problem. Complacency certainly won't be a problem. Attitudinally, uh, they're in the house, so you know, I, I don't think it's my job to motivate them. It's their job to motivate themselves. My job, along with the other coaching staff and the management, is to create an environment where they can use that motivation to the best of their ability to go out and perform. So give them the strategies, give them the environment where not only is it a place to learn, but it's also a place to have a bit of fun as well. Because we know that when we have fun and when we learn in equal amounts, we'll, we'll get a good performance. Steve Hansen talking to the media this week in Dublin. New Zealand Rugby appointed a Scot, Clark Laidlaw, as the new All Blacks Sevens coach this week. Laidlaw has previously been the All Black Sevens skills coach and Hurricanes assistant coach. He's currently the assistant coach of London Irish and won't take up his new role until June next year. Former All Black Sevens players Scott Waldrum and Tomasi Thama have been appointed as the interim coaches. Laidlaw takes over from Sir Gordon Titchens, who stood down after the Rio Olympics following 22 years in charge. While Laidlaw won't be directly involved in the upcoming World Series, he told Barry Guy that he'll still have a say. We started that process already this week. We had a Skype call last night and um, the plan is to meet up with some of the management. Um, the hope is I'll be back in New Zealand for a couple of weeks around January when the National Sevens and uh, the Mount Tournament is on to assist with some of the, the planning and selection through that period. So, yeah, that's, that's underway. Modern technology with, with Skype and, and Dropbox and so on, we're pretty easily connected. So what sort of changes do you want, perhaps, or what's, what's your vision? Oh, the vision is that, that we produce a sevens team that everybody can be proud of. Now, to get that, we, we've got a lot of work around building relationships within New Zealand rugby so we can get access to good young players and experienced players where it really matters. You know, we've got Commonwealth Games and Olympics where, where obviously we need to peak. Now, in between those times, the sevens can still be a, you know, an integral part of, of New Zealand rugby with player development and helping produce players for super rugby and, and all blacks. But we all know now that you know every every two to four years there's a big event, either a Commonwealth Games or an Olympics. So you know we're gonna we're gonna have a, one eye on on building a program that you know hopefully produces a really good team come Tokyo in 2020 that can compete and and go on and win a medal. So that was part of your interview, perhaps was it with New Zealand Rugby that. Um uh, there needs to be some changes as far as players are concerned because it was always a feeling that perhaps Sue Gordon didn't get all of the resources that perhaps he needed. Yeah, well, the plan is obviously for us now to drive a programme and, and a team that, as you say, we can get access to the best players when we really need them. Now, we need to build a team and a, and a training programme and a game that you know develops players and people are supportive of, of that team. Um, so there's a bit of work to be done in that space, but you know, we're confident that we can do that. Um, we're confident we've got, you know, the management and, and the players already, the senior players are already there that can can develop the team over the next the next few months with, with me getting on the ground in June and then accelerate over the next, you know, year and a bit leading into our first one in the Commonwealth Games in the Gold Coast. What are your thoughts about the game uh, a little bit lower, you know, say at provincial level and that sort of thing? We all know that all Fijians ever do is play sevens and so they can call on just about anyone. 
What about the game at, say, a provincial level here? Are, are you happy with that? Well, it's difficult, isn't it? We've only got really those, you know, the qualifiers plus the Mount tournament and, and the national tournament, you know, over the summer to, to really see players playing sevens. And you're right, that makes it difficult to judge, you know, if players are going to be good enough on the international stage. So you've got to work with that. You know, there's, there's no other clear windows where you could put more sevens rugby in. So it's important that we, you know, we identify the talent through the other streams, you know, through New Zealand schools, 20s, provincial rugby. Um, you know, there's Heartland Rugby, there's there's a lot of good Simmons players playing around those places. So we just need to really work hard to get our talent identification right. You know, we need to we need to build good relationships so we we can unearth, you know, the next seven specialists and, and top them up with quality fifteens players that can really add to the team. Uh, some might say that uh, that's the same situation with coaches. You've got Scott Waldrum and Tomasi Tharma that are going to uh, be your interim coaches until you take over. Um, and the listeners have probably picked up that you're a Scot. This is a little unusual for New Zealand rugby to not have a coach that's a New Zealander. Your thoughts on that? Obviously, you've got uh, something special that, that they were after. Yeah, well, you know, I suppose I'm, I'm delighted that it's shown faith in me as, as a non-Kiwi to take over the team. You know, if you look around the world, there's, there's not that many sevens coaches or, or coaches with experience in sevens and fifteens. You've got a Welshman taking over Fiji. You've got a Kiwi taking over Samoa. So you know it's not it's not unheard of. So yeah, it's a lot of the modern modern seven. But working with Tomasi and, and and Scott, who are two former players of the team, you know we've got, we've got that connection to the team and the connection to the past. What about success? How do you gauge? Uh, have you been given a time limit? You know because New Zealand rugby is all about winning. Yeah, well. All rugby is about winning, isn't it? We want to win every every week, but when it's an Olympic sport, you know we need to make sure that that's the that's the ultimate goal. You know, and, and our, my job and, and the management's jobs to to deliver a program that, that peaks in Tokyo in 2020. So we always want to win each tournament, and we'll be striving to to do well in every tournament. But I suppose it's it's my job as a head coach to really really make sure that big picture is getting taken care of in behind the scenes. The new All Black Sevens coach, Clark Laidlaw. Meanwhile, New Zealand Rugby has defended its decision to hire a non-New Zealand coach following Sir Gordon Titchen's reign. New Zealand Rugby General Manager Neil Sorensen told Matt Chatterton Laidlaw's the right man for the job, even if that means they can't have him right now. Clark was always going to be hard to beat from the get-go. When he put his name forward, he was um, highly rated from working in the environment with Titch uh, a few years ago and highly rated by those in and around the environment, including Titch. So he's always he was always going to be a, a very tough candidate to beat. Obviously he's got his contract with London Irish still, but why was it that it took so long to get uh, get this uh, pen to paper, I guess, with Clark? Oh, just contractual, um, to be fair. He had to make sure that he could... He could uh, exit his current contract, which he could. He had a clause in his contract which allowed him to, to have his contract reviewed in uh, May next year. And he just had to work through that, to be honest. Was, uh, nothing sinister or anything, really. And it had to be done with respect of um, you know, London Irish themselves. And, and so that was really the delay. So a two or three week delay, I suppose, in, in getting that across the line. Um, and so London Irish are, are happy. We're happy and Clark's happy. So it's a, a great result. What's the players' reaction been to it? Because obviously they've only got their new season starting in about two and a half weeks. I can't imagine they would have been that thrilled about having it take this long to get over the line 
considering uh, the new season starts so soon. No, no problems at all. And uh, in fact, um, they were absolutely delighted when they found out that, that Clark was the was going to be the the head coach. And um, they're also really excited about the fact that uh, Scotty and um, and Tomasi are are going to take them away for the first couple of tournaments. So the reaction from the players has been unbelievably positive. Given, obviously, that we knew the day, one day it would happen that, that Titch did retire um, and that, you know, there was a succession plan in place for the, a, a New Zealand coach to take over, is it a bit of an undermining factor, the fact that we've gone with, with Clark compared to the likes of, of Waldrum or Farmer? No, not at all. In fact, Clark's been part of our um, succession plan over the last few years, as you mentioned, it's been a challenging or a challenge for for those in New Zealand rugby and those involved in sevens to to actually um, develop a, a successor to Gordon Titchens or Sir Gordon Titchens, who's done such an incredible job. So it was always going to be challenging, you know, when when Titch hung his boots up, or who was going to step in. So so Clark's been part of that. He was part of um, Titch's environment for um, two or three years, a number of years ago. You know, highly rated by Titch himself, which is, you know, we had to take on board and, and put a lot of kudos in that, a lot of weight on, on, on Titch's view. So, no, look, we're thrilled, to be honest. New Zealand rugby's Neil Sorensen speaking with Matt Chatterton. The World Series starts in Dubai early next month. The Kiwis will put their Four Nations Rugby League title and number one ranking on the line on Monday morning when they play a world-class Australian side in the tournament final in Liverpool. The New Zealanders have scraped into the decider despite three disappointing performances at the tournament, including an 18-all draw with ninth-ranked Scotland last weekend. But the Kiwis are optimistic they can turn all of that around. Here he is, it's now or never. Addy, they're going to run it, they're going to run it, they're That last gasp try and the conversion that followed sent Scotland into the history books on Saturday morning with the 18-all result making them the first second-tier team to ever win a competition point at the Four Nations. The match was also history-making for New Zealand. It was the first time one of the top three nations had failed to beat a Tier 2 country at a major tournament since 1975. Despite that dismal performance, the Kiwis are through to the final thanks to a one-point win over hosts England in their opening game. Kiwis utility Lewis Brown says they're fortunate to have the chance to defend the title. It's probably a wake-up call, to be honest. Maybe a blessing in disguise. We probably haven't put a full 80 minutes of football you know, we've got a lot of calibre in this side and we haven't put it all together yet. And, uh, you know, we're, we're just stripping it right back, getting a lot of clarity within, within our roles within the side. The Kangaroos have been the only team to fire at the Four Nations and whether they like it or not, they're heading into the game as firm favourites. But Australian captain Cameron Smith says they'd be foolish to underestimate the Kiwis. I recall that was the same outlook from media and public in 2008, the World Cup in Australia, and it was the same outlook in 2010 in the Four Nations. Played in both of those matches where everyone thought Australia were going to turn up and win, and we didn't. So they're ranked number one in the world at the moment, and coming off their match on the weekend, I think they'll be particularly desperate to show everyone what they're capable of doing. Kiwis coach David Kidwell is adamant his team can win. We're at the final dance now and, you know, we've worked hard to be here, been away from our families for five or six weeks now. So uh, this group's been committed, you know, from the start and we get an opportunity on Sunday to uh, 
make our families proud. New Zealand have lost their past three games against the Kangaroos and their Four Nations performances have been lacklustre at best. But Lewis Brown is promising the flair and unpredictability which have been lacking will return. I probably believe our energy's been a bit down, you know, but um, it's about stripping it right back and just playing playing the brand of footy that we like. That's that's the ad lib, offload and, and stuff like that. It's been there the last three weeks, but we just probably haven't executed it that well. The match kicks off at Liverpool's famous football ground Anfield at 3 o'clock on Monday morning though the field will be nine metres short of regulation size after both teams raised concerns about how close the dead ball line was to the fencing. Olympic rowing champions Mahi Drysdale, Hamish Bond and Eric Murray have announced they are all taking a year off from the sport. The double Olympic single skulls champion Drysdale intends to then return to the rowing program and compete at the Tokyo 2020 Olympics. The unbeaten pair of Bond and Murray won't compete as a combination next year. Eric Murray will resume training after minor knee surgery but will be unavailable for international competition during 2017 while Hamish Bond will take a 12-month break. Murray told our sports editor Stephen Hewson that there are no firm plans for what happens after the year off. It's sort of been a little bit decided because my knee's been bugging me for so long that I knew that I needed to have a break after, you know, four, well, actually sort of almost eight years of, of pretty solid training. And then, yeah, we just uh, both pretty much decided that we'd take a, a bit of time to reevaluate things and, and look to where the next challenges lie. Um, to be honest, it still hasn't finalised what we're actually going to do um, but that's I guess what the next little while will, will uh, everything will just start panning out from there. I see you're going to be training but you won't actually be competing will, will, yeah. will, will, will that be frustrating for you? Oh, I don't think so probably a little bit and there may be a point in time where I go shit you know maybe I should have but I'm a realist you know I know that if I haven't been training since sort of October um, the possibilities of making the team now like you're just wasting the time you know, I don't want to, I don't do anything half-assed, and so there's no point in, in, you know, getting my knee operated on. Hopefully, in the next couple of weeks, and then, you know, spending six to eight weeks of getting that rehab, and then going, oh, hey, it's February. I want to make the team in March. It's just not going to happen. Um, and so you just got to look to the bigger goals. And obviously, if I want to continue, then Tokyo is a big motivating factor, and that's generally what most people are looking at anyway. Is Tokyo, and we're just lucky enough with rowing that we've got a world champs along the way that we work towards as part of the program. So in the year off, is there anything in particular you do want to do outside of rowing? Oh, rugby sevens? Nah. <laughs> um, <laughs> hey, oh, hey. They, 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 they might need a few extras given the way Rio oh, went. Oh, no, no, hey, hey. Um, I think, yeah, like there's, to, to be honest, rowing's pretty specific and there's only a couple of sports that's crossover. over, you know, one cycling, which, you know, Hamish was fully involved in. Um, and as far as that goes, I, I think you've got to be quite specific in, in what you're doing. Otherwise, you, you're, you're really just changing sports and changing the way your body's working things. So um, probably it'll just be rowing training, um, you know, a lot of cycling, a lot of stuff on the rowing machines and a bit out on the water. And then ultimately, you know, come 10 months time, you know, we're looking at September, October next year. Um, you know, you'll make the decision on, on where the future lies as far as do we want to go back in the pair? You know, maybe the 
maybe the Sinkovich brothers might be phenomenal. And we're like, shit, maybe we don't want to go racing because we don't want to lose. <laughs> um, but that's the thing, you know, that's what we've got to look at. And, and is, it, is it feasible to look at other challenges like, you know, maybe maybe our men's eight goes away this year and wins. And then you'll be like, man, I want to be part of that. You know, or maybe it doesn't. Or, so there's, in the next 12 months or 10 months, 12 months, there's other things that are going to influence our decision-making come that time. And, and that's really just how you've got to be, and you've got to be pretty fluid and, and relaxed with an optimistic approach. Has Hamish mentioned much as to, to what he might want to do, the Tour de France perhaps? Oh, honestly, <laughs> I, I've told him. He got a little bit, he's like, oh, I'm not going to make that. I'm like, mate, someone might you know, give you a ring and go, do you want to come on our tour team? We're going to do Tour Down Under and this and that. And I'm like, go for it, you know, shit, why not? Because he's phenomenal athlete. I don't think it's going to happen because obviously, you know, those two of the France riders are a different, different kettle of fish altogether. But, you know, you get an, you get an opportunity from one of the squads. But Hamish is quite driven to be a winner. And I don't know if he'd just want to be, you know, part of a team. I think he'd want to go out there to win things. And, and that's what makes him the successful athlete that he is. So now do you finally look to having some a, a bit of time off and a few beers over Christmas that you might not previously have been able to do? I always had beers over. Come on, come on. That's, that's what Hamish, That's what frustrated Hamish was. Was my eating and my my drinking, I guess. <laughs> um, yeah. Oh, hey. Um, I think that's that's the best part is is really just is having a, a wind down and look to the future, and that's what this period in time is. But still, it's not the decision that everyone wants to know. You know, they want to know exactly what the hell we're doing. But this next little while, these next twelve months for for all of us, you know, for for Mahe, ourselves, um, you know, George, everyone else that said, oh, we're taking a bit of downtime, they'll realise in, in 12 months' time, once everyone gets back from the World Champs, who's actually coming back, you know, crikey, some of them that said they're taking the year off might say, actually, look, this year off's been amazing, I'm not actually going to continue. So you never know, you never know. Eric Murray speaking with Stephen Hewson. The world's biggest women's golf tour, the LPGA Tour, is coming to New Zealand next year for the National Open. For the first time in its seven-year history, the New Zealand Women's Open will now be an LPGA-sanctioned event. In the past, the tournament has struggled to attract big-name players or be broadcast live on television. But as Matt Chatterton reports, that's all about to change come September next year. New Zealand Golf has spent the past two years trying to turn the New Zealand Women's Open into an LPGA Tour event. Now they've succeeded. The tournament will be sponsored by McKayson, a South Korean sports brand. Both the government's major events fund and Auckland Council's tourism and events organisation, ATED, will also provide financial assistance. As a result, the prize money will increase to $1.8 million from 300000 last year. The tournament will also move from Christchurch to Auckland to attract more visitors and will also be broadcast live on TV into over 150 countries. New Zealand golfer and world number one Lydia Ko will headline the tournament and is the only player from the LPGA Tour confirmed at this point. Speaking via video link, the 19-year-old Ko says she can't wait to show off her hometown to her fellow LPGA professionals. To come and visit and, you know, not only play at such a great golf course, but to experience New Zealand and their culture, I'm very excited about that. Today's announcement is the biggest to come out of New Zealand golf since former men's world number one Tiger Woods played in the New Zealand Open at Paraparaamu Golf Club in 2002. New Zealand golf chief executive Dean Murphy says not only will co-tee off in Auckland, so too will her closest rivals. 
I think we'll get a, a good representation of top players here. Lydia is going to do her best. You heard that this morning. She's going to bribe all of her mates to come and play. Um, you know, we're not going to put it all on her. We've got our people up there now working on it, but it's um, we expect a great number of players to come down. The LPGA and McKayson have agreed to a three-year deal with New Zealand Golf, so it appears Lydia Ko and the world's best female golfers will be returning to Auckland for the foreseeable future. For Extra Time, call Matt Chatterton-Tine. And that's Extra Time for this week. You can reach us on Twitter at RNZ Sport and check out our website, rnz.co.nz sport. For Denise garland ho ka kite anō. Head over to Hulu this March, where our new shows and movies will keep you streaming all month long. Catch the acclaimed movie, All of Us Strangers, starring Paul Mescal and Andrew Scott. Stream the new Hulu original limited series, We Were the Lucky Ones, with Joey King and Logan Lerman. And don't forget about Grey's Anatomy. Every Grey's episode ever is now streaming on Hulu. So, what are you waiting for? Go stream something new on Hulu.